0: This episode is brought to you by ThinkNear. Their location score platform delivers the most accurate location targeting available on mobile. Visit them at locationscore.com. And by Pollen. Access your App Store revenues faster and fund user acquisition straight away. To sign up, go to pollen.vc. Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your host, Rob Woodbridge and Asif Khan. It is time for This Week in Location-Based Marketing. This is episode number 229. We're recording this live on Apple Watch Day, also known as April 10th, 2015. My name is Rob Woodbridge from Untether.tv, located in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And with me as usual... Two hundred and twenty nine consecutive weeks looking at this mug from Toronto Ontario
1: there you go it is Asif Khan of the location-based marketing association in Toronto It's really actually getting quite nice the weather's like turned around it's you know it's it's gonna be sunny it's gonna be a nice warm weekend relatively speaking for April uh, you know and uh yeah, you probably see this this has been all say, see, play-
0: you wait till the spring to grow a beard.
1: No, well, my kid, my kid, like, so because I'm not traveling, right, my kid said, you're here for a whole week, you know, let it, let it grow and see what happens. And so it's growing. It's coming off tomorrow because I have to go to a wedding. Um, but uh, for a week, this is what you get in a week.
0: You know, it's, it's okay. Uh, see. If it's, yeah. Let it grow. Let it grow. Uh, no, no, no. Don't, don't no. start me on the frozen stuff. <laughs> oh, man.
1: I, yeah, I can't stand that stuff.
0: I had a beard once. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I look at pictures. And I'm like, hey, it covers most of my face. I'm much more handsome when half of my face is covered. No. Nah. true story, true story. But I got ridiculed for it. Um, yeah, and, and my yeah. brother, my brother has the identity with a beard. But um, so listen, man, let me let me know. Did you you uh, you ordered your uh, your little Apple Watch doohickey dingle this morning?
1: I did. Unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, I actually completely forgot to put it in the calendar, uh, and then so you know I uh, I was working this morning. And then I realized people were talking about you know Apple Watch, and I'm like, oh crap, I got to get out there and order. So By the time I ordered, it was like ten something this morning, and now I'm not getting my Apple Watch till like the first week of June. So.
0: Oh, I did. I did what everybody uh, else did, I think, in the world, which was get up at three in the morning, Eastern time, uh, midnight Pacific time. I set my alarm, basically just rolled out of bed, ran downstairs reloaded the page a bunch of times and and then it came up but it was like 303 by that time it was like four to six weeks for delivery like you know at least the site didn't go down and and everything was was um, was very seamless it was an easy acquisition it was a really really good experience um and then i i was like sitting here later on the afternoon did i did I dream that, or did I order it? <laughs> did you actually do it? Yeah. So I had to check to make sure, and in fact, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. It. no, it's, actually, anyhow, yeah. so it's it's done, and
1: uh, you know, we'll, we'll get it when we get it, as we'll they see. say. Yeah, no kidding.
0: Yeah. Well, it, uh, it you know, I was I was impressed, and I think that I, it's going to uh, shatter expectations. Uh, around uh, around the globe, about how many of these things that they sold. I'm very interested to see how many they sold, and uh, you know the the feedback. The Verge, if you haven't done this, The Verge did this amazing day in the life of an Apple Watch expose. Uh, you know they got an advanced copy, and, and it's actually very well done. It gives you a great perspective of the good things and the bad things about the watch, and I strongly recommend you go to The Verge.com and take a look at that because it is actually very unbiased. Um, and, you know, because I've worn this for nine or ten months now. I love these things. I will never live without one. Um, not like a Robert Scoble in the Google Glass. But this has provided tremendous value to me. And uh, this gives a very balanced, very, 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 very balanced approach to uh, to the Apple Watch. So TheVerge.com, they did a great there job. There you go. All right. So, big show. Uh, but before we get into our ten stories, Asif, what uh, what the heck is going on with the Location-Based Marketing Association
1: Bunch of stuff. Uh, so starting next week, April the 16th, uh, there's an event in San Francisco uh, that uh, we're doing in partnership with a group called Beacon Week and um, and Wearable World. Um, so it's basically, as the name implies, it's, it's focused on beacons and, and wearables and, and how those things are coming together. What do they uh, do? Beacon what and wearable who? Beacon Week, yeah, and Wearable World. Uh, So these these guys are getting together. We're uh, supporting it with our San Francisco chapter, and uh, so that's April the sixteenth at the Palace of Fine Arts is the uh, the venue for that. Um, And then the uh, the following uh, week on the twenty third, the Chicago chapter uh, is uh, hosting an event. Um, So that's uh, another interesting one that you want to take a look at. Details uh, for both of those are available on the. lbma website on the events page there's a lot of other events there we've got events coming up in australia we have a new chapter launching in hong kong um there's a new york uh chapter event coming so there's, there's plenty of stuff happening um and uh you know go check it out
0: ah yes i don't believe that i will see you in all of may as we were discussing that is probably correct yes we will not probably be in the same area ever in that period of time no no no. Well, I'm trying to coerce Asif to coming into Ottawa. So look for that mid-June. If you're an Ottawa guy or gal and you want to see Asif Khan speak, maybe Ottawa mid-June. Could happen. Could happen as long as it's not past June 25th because then everybody goes away for the summer. That's right. School is so. out. Alrighty. So we've got uh, ten good stories, ten great stories. I would say uh, that is going to uh, really showcase some of the innovation that's going on in the location-based and contextual-based marketing world. We also have a great guest. This is this is good. This happened. I got called out a couple of episodes ago. Uh, I went uh, kind of on a tirade about uh, this company called One Visage or One Visage. And the selfie um, uh, validation, basically, they have a uh, um, facial recognition software that is uh, that they called, they called it selfie. And yeah. I had a uh, hard time with that, very hard time with that. And I challenged them. I said, come on on the show. Defend yourself. And guess what? Ah. They actually called me out on it. And uh, so Christophe Remiet, who is the CTO of One Visage, is our guest today. And he puts awesome. me in, in my place. And uh, I'll tell you one thing is that we spent 20 minutes together. And I'm not going to show you the full thing on this episode. It, come back to the show notes. This is episode number 229. Go to unteller.tv or go to thelbma.com. And in part of the show notes, there will be a link to the actual full, full, full 20 minutes unedited conversation I had with Christoph, and we get into it a little bit Uh, not like in a sparring way but he talks about some of the potential of this technology um, and basically the 3D um, uh, facial recognition software and it's actually I mean I don't like the name Selfie but uh, what he's talking about is uh, you know the way he talks about it and the way that we discuss the different levels of uh, requirements for security and for authentication um, it really makes a lot of sense. So,
1: mea culpa. We'll, we'll see. I look forward to uh, to hearing that interview. So,
0: so uh, yeah, it, it was good. He's he's our guest, and of course, we've got our. Uh, we're going to see if we can get two big stories in, depending on what the time is like. But we've definitely got one story, and and I'll give you a little bit of a of a hint here. It's about simulated interactive product sampling, and I know what you're thinking. It is not porn. It has nothing to do with porn, although it could. No. And maybe that'll take a different conversation, different tack. Yeah. Hmm. All right, so right. we've got 10 stories, to see. Shall we begin? Let's do it. Your turn, buddy. Not so fast. Before we get to those stories, we need to get paid. So here is a message from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you in part by ThinkNear. Here's Lauren Hilberg, president and GM of ThinkNear by Telnav, to remind us what they do.
1: ThinkNear is a location-based advertising network. We provide our clients and customers a great opportunity to get their advertising directly
0: to the individual's who are most likely to act on it. Part of the beauty of what ThinkNear does is to help use location to find your audience and then put the right message in front of them at the right time,
2: at the right place.
0: I know what you're asking, will this work for me? Brett Cohn, VP of Marketing at ThinkNear, has that covered.
2: Every mobile campaign has the ability to leverage location to do a better job of reaching your audience.
0: ThinkNear worked with a large CPG company that has a health-focused cereal brand to help pinpoint their audience by city and then by neighborhood. Brett again on how that was set
2: up. People who might be visiting Tahoe to ski in some of our ads in the, in the Northern California area. Southern California, we talked about um, King Camp, Kings Canyon and other outdoor uh, adventure areas near that locality. And what you start to see is you're hitting a, a specific neighborhood that fits your audience. You're contextualizing the ad creative to make it more relevant to the user. And you start to see higher click rates, As well as higher secondary action rates because the ad's more relevant in hitting their audience.
0: Think near, keeping you fit one ad at a time. And now, back to the show. All right, so we got 10 stories to see. Shall we begin? Your turn, buddy. Alright, we start
1: this week with our good friends over at xAd. Love these guys. Uh, Great member company and uh, they announced an interesting product this week. It's called Blueprints. It's trademarked, uh, the name Blueprints. Um, And basically what they're trying to do is, there's a problem in our industry and that is the accuracy of location data. you know and 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 being able to target you know to the to the right level that we want to target, and so what what they've done is 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 they've developed a system using the physical boundaries of a business instead of its 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 address its latitude and longitude they're looking at the actual physical boundaries of this uh it could be an outline or a blueprint of the outside of the physical store uh instead of the street address and and so um you know when you rely only on street address sometimes you know when you're trying to find a place it can it can be you know. Feet off uh, from where it's supposed to be, it can be you know half a block away from where it's supposed to be in some cases um, because you know the, the data is, isn't that accurate. But you know w- when we actually look at the physical uh, layout and structure of a building and we use that as the basis for determining location, we can get very very accurate. And so that's kind of what we're trying to, you know, what the blueprints uh, XAI blueprint system is trying to uh, to solve uh, is give media buyers and, and marketers. Better accuracy around location targeting and location data, and this is a big issue. It's a it's a problem. Uh, I'm going to quote a stat here uh, from um, from the press release that came out, uh, and it says that uh, 70% of uh, of place creation and updates, um, you know, are, can can be automated uh, with this system now. Um, and and in the U.S., 130,000 new address listings and changes are processed by the U.S. Postal Service each day. 130,000 changes to address information mm-hmm. processed each day by the U.S. Postal Service. So you see the need for having the accuracy of this, uh, of this kind of data and to have it be based on something other than address information.
0: You know, does that mean that uh, once this is figured out, the postal, post office goes out of business? Because what else are they doing now? <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're doing selfies. They're doing selfies. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Cut it out, Asif! Yeah, that's a, that's a big announcement. Uh, good for XAD. Yeah. So
1: there's a, uh, you know, just as a follow on to that, there's a, uh, an infographic that, that, uh, that they released along with this, uh, this announcement of blueprints. That will be available on the LBMA site under the research tab. Wow. You click there, you, you can see the, uh, the infographic uh, with a bunch of other uh, of da- uh, data points there. So there you go. XAD announces blueprints.
0: Blueprints. Well done. All right, our next story involves, a, well, there's a couple of stories here around location-based services in the healthcare industry. One I, I like, kind of. The other one I kind of don't like. It's not really innovative. So I'll let you decide which one I like and which one I don't like. How's okay. that? It's a test. The first story is about this company called MedNav. If you go to meddav.md, I love the um, the domain suffix there. Uh, MedNav.MD. It's a location-based mobile health app that allows you basically to do what Uber does for cabs, which is to find out uh, information about local wait times, verified reviews, and uh, book appointments with local healthcare providers. You do it through an app. It's really, uh, you, you know, no more complicated than that. You are in a spot. You need some uh, something health-related, and you need an appointment somewhere, and that's what it does. So it allows you to do that from a user standpoint. From a provider standpoint, it allows Allows you to, you know, eliminate this, you know, the empty appointments, which is which is killer, especially up in here in Canada. You know, you don't want any idle doctors sitting around because there's always such a long wait later on. You know that if you've ever done this, where you've been put on the wait list for cancellations, you know that that instead of waiting six weeks to get in to see your doctor, and you you always go on the cancellation list and you you break other appointments so that you can do this, and this actually helps kind of propagate those empty appointments. So that I really really like. It also allows you to push out information to your existing users because it's an app-based thing. You can actually say like I don't know like 2 for 1 specials on teeth removal because we just went through it or something to that extent, you know, from dentists and doctors. I'm not really sure what else you would do there, but it allows you to market and advertise directly to them. And it, you know, you can you can also get reviewed and rated by by staff or by uh, by patients. You can review and rate the doctors or whoever it is the practitioners are. So it's very much like Uber but for the healthcare industry. I, I kind of like this. I like this because I think that it it does mm-hmm. solve a problem. See, don't you think that that solves a problem? Completely agree. I mean, it, any
1: any of these services that are about matching up, you know, buyers and sellers, uh, you know, from a data point of view, um, tied to location and and and. Uh, you know, proximity. I think, regardless of the industry, these things are valuable. Whether it's you know Airbnb or AirBites, we talked about the other day, or in this case, medical data. We have another one coming up uh, later in the show. Um, you know, in the music industry, that you'll, yes. you'll be talking about as well. So
0: yeah, yeah. And, but I think that this is this is something that has a long legs. I do not think that that music industry one has as legs at all. There's a reason why there's no competition in that space because guess what. It's, it's not a real business, but no. uh, that's a preview. But the other story is around this company called Awarepoint. There you go. Please. Coca-Cola
1: guys, uh, the world's first drinkable advertising uh, creating a fun way to shell out free products to unsuspecting customers uh, this is in partnership with Shazam and uh, their agency uh, Ogilvy & Mather uh, and it started with the NCAA uh, final four the men's final four uh, where they launched a 26 by 36 foot uh, drinkable billboard um, first of its kind, never been done before, a giant billboard with a, uh, a swirling huge straw that comes out of it, spelling the world's words, taste it. The thing weighed 23,000 pounds uh, and it magically appears to pour ice cold Coke Zero out of it into six drinking fountains that anyone can walk up to and sample. So you know, now we're taking out of home advertising and we're actually making it functional where you can actually get product from it so it's not just an ad anymore it's actually the product is the ad um, you know w- what would Marshall McLuhan say about that um,
0: <laughs> my mouth is watering that's what he would say yeah yeah, yeah. so it, it's uh, it's pretty
1: interesting you know what, what what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna sorry it just popped in my head and I have to go there so I happen to know uh, his grandson because Marshall McLuhan's from from here I happened to uh, meet his grandson at a conference a little while ago. And 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 his son uh, as well, and uh, they're both uh, they both teach advertising and are involved in, in the industry. So I'm going to get his grandson to come on here one day and talk <laughs> about how he thinks about uh, advertising and contrast it with his uh, with his grandfather's views. This is that uh, it's a full integrated media thing. So it's not just the out of home piece. Yes. They tied this to television. Obviously, you know, if you're watching the NCAA tournament on television um, and commercials were coming on for Coke Zero, you saw the Shazam uh, logo there. You could Shazam these things. Uh, it was synced up in, in real time with that. And uh, what would happen is, is you know, the, the app would, you know, capture the audio signal coming from the TV commercial. Uh, it would create this mobile call to action. And then it would offer you a coupon. And what would happen, it would actually sync with the TV commercial. So you know, as the Coke is being poured on the TV screen, it's actually filling up on your mobile screen. The glass is filling up on your mobile screen. And then when it completes, it basically turns into a mobile coupon for a free 20-ounce bottle of Coke.
0: That's crazy
1: good. So I love that kind of stuff. Very well done. Uh, and uh, you know, good on them for uh, for putting this together.
0: Coke, and that's part of our big story, which is what we were saying quite literally: the this this whole concept of the simulated interactive product sampling. Yeah. But I, I don't know how they get the taste from the TV screen into my mouth. Not yet, eh? We're not there yet. Not yet. Can't can't do it yet. No Star Trek replicator.
1: Yeah. There's 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 no uh, Willy Wonka uh, making stuff like that. I just want to
0: pull you. a lever. I say, you know. Yeah. Earl Grey, tea hot. Yeah. All right, that's a cool story, Coke Zero. All right, our next story. This is uh, this is an interesting one uh, that has a lot to do with an older technology uh, called RFID. This is the second time. Two stories in, I'm talking about RFID twice. Uh, but this is a, a company called uh, Spoda, um, and uh, they, they worked with their agency, Slash Pilot, um, in, uh, in Finland, uh, in Helsinki, to develop a system known as the physical cookie, which is quite literally uh, RFID tags uh, around um, 15 retailers within a mall and it's triggered by an actual key and they've issued these fourteen thousand VIP keys that are distributed to mall goers. That you basically, you know, literally they're like fobs. They're long fobs, and they are strategically handed out to fourteen thousand people. And then basically, people keep them with them, and they walk through the mall, and all that data is is actually captured. And what they're looking for, predominantly is dwell time because there's no screen on these fobs. It's not reliant on any kind of smartphone or anything like that. They're looking at dwell time to see to understand patterns and flow and maybe if you're standing inside of a store or you're in front of a window for quite some time, that's an indication that maybe you should be sent something of value to get you to come into the store. And uh, and this is a really fascinating way of, of kind of dumbing down the technology to the most important thing, which is the data, the, the traffic flow and understanding yeah. how many people go through in and out and how long people wait outside of a store before they come in how long the dwell time is before they make a purchase and then what can influence people's decision-making as soon as they uh, you realize that they're sitting there or standing there so instead of a asif bombarding people with bluetooth notifications or beacon notifications saying bye 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 it's passively sitting in the background as people and collecting data and then making the assertion reaching out when they when they have uh, conclusive data that there's interest to uh, you know some kind of incentive that needs to be put in place in order to be able to buy. This is yeah. it's interesting. You know,
1: one of the things I like about this is because it's not tied to the phone and because it's a it's a device that you know they issue you and you put it on your keychain or whatever as you're walking around, it really, you know, from a privacy point of view there can't be any objections to this no. thing right because it's you know you're choosing to put this thing on your on your on your on your keychain knowing that you know you're contributing to the to the analytics and to the data
0: yeah. uh, because you're
1: not getting anything out of it at least you know at, at the first time that they yeah, track you. I mean they may use it down the road to understand you and and be able to okay. to send you stuff. but you know I love I, I love that that it's uh, you know it's not it's not intrusive um, in the way that you know some of the beacon stuff is.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's it's funny because you know predominantly, like what what'll happen is that say you're standing in front of a screen and it's and it's followed you through the many times you've been through the mall. It could customize a display like a you know mm-hmm. a screen for you based on your preferences. Yeah. So that's why they call it this the physical cookie side of it. And uh, but really, this is a data collection. It's all about data collection for the malls to understand patterns and and uh, and behaviors of of their consumers. And you know so your data. I keep we keep coming back to this is that. I'm okay with this. This is cool. And you sign up and you carry this thing around. You know full well, but God damn it, folks, your data is worth money. It is worth money. So I, I don't understand how we can say, okay, let's take this thing and I'll do it voluntarily. And you can track my whereabouts and give me nothing, nothing. Except for maybe yeah, yeah. customize some some, uh, some advertising for me on screens. But the data that the malls get is in freaking valuable because you know that they're going to find these little nooks and crannies of people spend where people congregate a lot of time and they're going to increase the rent in those spots because there's more traffic flow, right? This is, so your data is worth something. So I love this. I think it's very cool from the mall standpoint. I love that they're doing this. It's old school technology, batteries, you know, uh, RFID is, is, is proven, it's cheaper. But the challenge I have with it is your data is worth something, and we can never over overshadow the fact right. that your data is worth something. And now you're just giving it away again, people! Crazy. Mm. All right, it's all my story. That's what I got.
1: <laughs> Enough of that. All right, our fifth story. Uh, this is another great uh, one because it's uh, it's a mashup of two of our uh, of our members. This time, Freckle IoT, which is a Toronto-based uh, company, and BlueByte. That uh, we you know both of these companies we've talked about before, but they've gotten together and uh, they made a rather significant announcement in the industry, which is uh, that they're launching North America's largest proximity network for advertisers based on sixty thousand beacons that they're deploying across the U.S. Um, And so what you have here is a mashup between Freckle IoT, which is a a beacon uh, management ecosystem, basically a you know a, a data management cloud based. Uh, man, system for managing you know beacons and, and the content that gets delivered uh, on them to BlueByte, which is one of the the big players in in the mobile uh, activation of out of home, uh, and so I like this st- kind of stuff because it's exactly what we you know what we try to do with the LBMA which is, t- is tie tie media types together. And so I, I like when this stuff comes together and, and, and companies like this are, wor- are working with each other. So I think you're going to see, you know, very, you know, lots of other partnerships like this in the industry, you know, that kind of, you know, come on, on the back of this. And we're going to be talking about another one later on in the show uh, here. But, you know, so basically Freckle IoT partners with Blue Byte, uh to announce a 60,000 uh, uh, beacon uh, network, which is crazy. It's big. It's big. big.
0: It's big. We like Mikhail. Michael Damiani, it was the uh, we do, yeah, and Neil. All around and they're still around. Yeah, and they, they. I mean, the quality of their stuff is is unbelievable. It like, is.
1: I, 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 I did own a couple pieces. I haven't bought anything from Patagonia in a long, long time. It
0: was always used to like the cinchillas, right? The uh, the yeah. the sweaters that we had just all over the place, and and. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Well, and they do last a long time and and to prove that they've got, I I don't know if this is the first time they've done this, but they have basically started this, the Warn Wear Mobile Tour. All right, so this is literally, uh, this started in April 2nd, so it's, we're a couple of weeks into it right now. started in Ventura, California, and what they're doing is they're, they've taken this kind of beat-up pickup truck and refurbished the beat-up pickup truck, and they put this entire sewing facility that is on the back of it. You'll see the pictures if you're watching this, but if not, you can just basically do a search for, uh, what is it, Patagonia's pickup truck tours country. On apparel mending mission and what basically what they've done is they've refurbished this this uh this pickup truck they've created it's a 91 dodge cummins fueled with biodiesel and they're trying to show that listen you, you, the clothes that you have don't toss them because they're ripped or destroyed or they've got holes in them L- fix them so that we don't have to fill uh all this you know the world with uh with discarded material my brother got them for me as a
2: gift goodwill in nantucket or something like that back on the east coast I mean, they were go-to for everything—surfing, just going to the beach, kayaking. A lot of memories associated with them. Had kind to of hold on to them.
0: So the back of the truck, the camper shell, where they've got this industrial uh, sewing machine to help fix your clothes and that's what the tour is about, is, is uh, constructed from salvaged wine barrels and it gets all its power from solar panels. So they're making a huge statement here about they don't want you to throw away your old clothes, but they also want to make sure that they're making a, a, a big impact on this. So literally, they, there's these stops across the United States, they're driving across the United States, you bring your clothes with holes, rips, tears, the knee mending, and they'll fix them for you there and this is their big statement around you know it's made to last and it doesn't have to be patagonia stuff and predominantly it won't be because the quality is so high so if you have anything that you need that needs fixed you can go and stop by and they'll fix it for you while you wait and i i love this idea this is a really great put your money where your mouth is um and and they do this this can't be the first time they've done it uh but it is amazing to to see these guys and uh i i think that the 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 concept is great, and I think it fits very well in line with their brand, Patagonia. Yeah, I think it's awesome.
1: Well done. Yeah, kudos. It'd be great. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to, uh, to them. See, it'd be great to get them over to Retail Loco to talk about this stuff uh, in the fall. So, well, I yeah.
0: think you start like from a brand-building uh, capacity. Right? Instead of going out there and selling your stuff, you know, here, just bring your stuff in. We'll fix it for you. Like, that is yeah. really, uh, I just, I, I love it. I love and, it. So it's the worn wear tour for Patagonia and it started in April 2nd and uh, they are going everywhere. I have a list here somewhere where they are going to be in, let me just see how many stops they're going to be. So tons, you got lots of in California, but they're going to be, they're going right until uh, middle of May and they're going to finish it up their, their tour in Boston. So they're going from uh, their first stop is leaving San Francisco and they're finishing in Boston. Pretty cool. Awesome. Great stuff. Yeah. Very good stuff. And, oh, wait, I'll give you the address there. It's patagonia.com forward slash warnware. patagonia.com forward slash warnware.
1: Okay. Done. All right. Our seventh story, Another, yet another partnership between uh, two of our members getting together. In this case, it's ShopperTrack and Shopkick. Um, we, this is very, very interesting to me because ShopperTrack is a company that's been around for a long time in the space. Uh, retailers have been using these guys for years uh, as a indoor location analytics company. And historically, their analytics you know this, the same stuff we just talked about in the malls, but their analytics have been based on on cameras. So that, you know they they put cameras in uh, into these stores. You know that you can obviously use for security and other things. But using camera data, we're tracking or counting, if you will, um, you know, the number of people that are, that are moving through and the patterns and the dwell time and all that stuff. And then in the last little while, um, you know, um, they went out and they bought a company a couple of years ago out of Finland, actually, uh, called Rapid Blue, uh, which is a, a company that was in the sort of uh, Wi-Fi and beacon space to sort of augment what they were doing with cameras, which made a lot of sense to me. Um, and so they put this together and I guess, you know, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm happy about this, this partnership because I think it makes sense, but I'm a little bit surprised that, you know, they had to go do this, um, you know, because they, you know, with the rapid blue stuff, you know, one would think they have their own, their own beacon solution already, uh, that they acquired. So my, my only guess is, is that this is, 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 all about access to, you know, more retailers, uh. You know, coming up against competition. Uh, there's a lot of players in the industry, Um and you know, instead of fighting each other, why not work with each other? You're not you're not really competitors in this necessarily in this space. You're all you're all fighting for the same customer. And if you know, if 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 say a retailer is already a shopper track customer from the sort of old style analytics, but also wants Beacons now, you know they're not going to throw necessarily the, the the old stuff out just to put in new stuff. So why not combine those things together? And I think that's what I see as the partnership here between ShopperTrack and Shopkick. The other thing Shopkick brings to the table, obviously, is they have their own app. They have a consumer-facing app with, um, you know, I don't know how many million people uh, are on it these days, <coughs> but they have they have an app. And, and they also have beacons deployed in a number of stores. They have Macy's. Uh, they have about 8,000 beacons, I understand, deployed in Macy's and American Eagle. Um, you might remember we talked about these guys a little while ago when they were uh, acquired by uh, SK uh, South Korea Telecom and, um, and uh, you know where all that sits. But I think this is a good deal. I think it's an interesting partnership uh, between two, two of the big players in the space coming together. And I think we're going to see more of this kind of stuff uh you know we're we're uh you know m- you know the market is maturing and people are are starting to realize hey there's a lot of players there's a lot of new entrants and us guys who have been around a little while should team up and uh and start helping each other instead of uh you know all fighting each other
0: this is like cooperation right yeah yeah cooperation i like it play. yeah shopper track and shop kick all right our next story involves another kind 10 of 10 million
1: by the way 10 million people have the shop kick
0: 10 million people have the shop kick yeah shop kick app say that again say that 10 times fast shop kick app mm-hmm. it'll come out something like I just butchered it well our our next story not maybe not 10 million people will use this I don't know if anybody will use this at all it's one of these things that uh, we t- uh, alluded to it before it's called studio time you go to studiotime.io and this is literally uh, getting they call themselves the airbnb of booking music studios uh, so you can understand what it exactly what it means is that Say you're a musician, you get spontaneously, you got that desire to record yourself. You need a stadium or a studio to do it or a stadium to play, I suppose. And that brings me to an idea that I had, and I'll explain that in a second. But the, the idea is that if you need studio time, you log onto this website at studiotime.io and you, you look, you have to be in New York or, and, or, or Los Angeles at this point, and you find a studio that has vacancies during the time that you want to, to use it. Sounds great. In fact, the founder of the company uh, said, listen, you know what? This is cool because when we talked about it, uh, you know, Mike Williams is his name. He said, when we asked anybody, nobody has ever heard of this. And we're all surprised that this doesn't exist. And there is no competition. And I think that the reality of this is that there's uh, no competition to see for a reason. Because it's not viable. Like, you know, how often is it that I need to be in a studio? It's not something that I'm going to use every day or every month or every year. It just... Like So that's what I think about it is that I'm not sure how the revenue model will work with this. I tried to log on. I looked at some studios. Th- this isn't something that's recurring enough for it to be viable, in my opinion. And, and I think that the reason I-, I-, I think that is that I thought of an idea called Gigan. Right? G-I-G dot I-N. And the whole idea was to match studio performers or performers with gigs in their city. So say I am a great saxophone player, which I am not, uh, or a great musician or a great guitar player, which I'm not, but I'm in a city and I wanted to maybe jump on stage with somebody or i I am a band, and you know my drummer calls in sick, and I need somebody to come and play to, to sub in. I was—that's what gigging was going to be, right? its, it's it, But again, when I went out to the marketplace, they said, "Listen, you know, it doesn't happen very—it doesn't happen enough to monetize. And if even if it did monetize, we're not really sure how you would actually collect on it. It's the same thing here: is that this is a this is a cool idea, but just because you can do it, it doesn't mean that it will work. And being in a studio. Isn't something that I do on a daily or weekly basis. It might be three consecutive days for a, in once a year, but that's not a business. That doesn't build a business. Yeah.
1: Go in with your band. That's cool. And you spend a you know two weeks staying at this hotel, and and you've got studio time, right? Um, you know something like that to me is you know much more appealing than than this. And and I think you could you could build like you know a niche a niche business around that if you're you know if you're in the hotel industry or
0: something like that. But tied to something, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's why it struck me is that the reason that there are no competitors is because there is no business here. And that's always the frightening thing. And it's entrepreneurship and business 101. If there are no competitors and there's nobody encroaching on this market, you are not the only one to have thought of the idea, quite frankly. It's because, guess what? It doesn't exist. You're not augmenting somebody else's service. You're not doing them a favor. You're not doing anything, right? Yeah. Um, It's not like Uber. Uber didn't exist, but the cab companies and the black car companies did. And it's an efficiency play. And this, and Airbnb, you know what? That's a a groundbreaking uh, company simply because what they did was they they opened up your bedroom to somebody to rent. And and the infrastructure was already there. They just built a layer on top of it. And this this Mm. really doesn't do it. It's unfortunate, but that's why there are no competitors is that there's no business. Prove me freaking wrong. Prove me wrong. How's that? Prove me wrong. And I would say that if you're listening to this, Mike Williams, come on and defend it. You...
1: The uh, What do they call it? The, uh, the best poster in the world. <laughs> Uh, or no, actually, it's called probably the best poster in the world. Great. Uh, to be clear, so this is a uh, a poster that dispenses free beer. Uh, who doesn't want that? So it's located on the side of the Old Truman Brewery in London's Shoreditch uh, district, uh, and on the poster it reads probably the best poster in the world. Passerbys are able to help themselves to a free cold half pint of the Danish lager. Uh, on April the 8th, this, so this just happened a couple of days ago, from 1 to 7 p.m. So basically, they got people just coming in, doing product sampling out of off a billboard on the side of the brewery. So effectively, they punched a wall on the side of the brewery, stuck a billboard on on it with a, with a tap and said, you know, pour yourself a beer. Um, <laughs> what can I say? Um, hey, product sampling at its finest. Jesus, I'm in. Yeah.
0: How come a Canadian company didn't think of that?
1: I don't know. You'd think that would be a Molson thing, you no?
0: would You think that we don't have like Canadians have beer. Uh, you know, we have three taps: hot water, cold water, and beer. Exactly. That's it. That's it. So we already have it coming to the house. God. Canadians are great. Oh, Canada. <laughs> I, uh, like that. So I like that. So, a lot. anyways,
1: we'll we'll uh, we'll talk more about that. But Carlsberg launches the free beer billboard, uh, known as the probably the best poster in the world.
0: Absolutely, the best poster in the whole so universe. Okay, our last story is Seif Delta Kills Animals. Delta Airlines Kills Animals. I don't know if you know this or not, but Delta, of all the airlines on the planet, Delta kills the most animals that are in transportation. So if you're taking little pooch with you on your vacation, or you're moving them across the country, or you're shipping them anywhere to Timbuktu, they kill your animals. And I'm not joking. That of the greatest, they have the greatest number of animal incidents, and we're personally responsible for 41 of the 97 deaths reported in 2013. Like are you crazy? They kill all animals. Now they say it's because they transport more of them, but if you if they're killing almost 50% of all the animals that are killed on transportation, then there is a problem and they may have a solution. I'm not sure if this is a good solution or not, but I would say the number one solution, don't send your pet with Delta. But what they're trying to address here now is and this is where this location comes in is that they're they want to fix a GPS onto your animal in transportation now this is $50 per flight it's available in 10 US airports across the country it's available in Atlanta Cincinnati Detroit LA Memphis Tennessee Minneapolis st. Paul Seattle Salt Lake City and Tampa and what it does is it, it as I said it's a GPS chip that is attached to your animal and it will tell you a bunch of things it allows you to track the journey in real time so where is your your animal, which is great, like I suppose you can find out where it died, all right, because that's what Delta does, it kills your animals. But, or it can actually monitor the temperature of where your animal is, and it can actually monitor whether or not the crate or the thing that your animal is in is right side up or sideways or upside down or, uh, you know, but what it doesn't tell you is if your animal is dead, which 50% of all deaths, if I said before, actually come from deltas uh, carrying your animal. So uh, it's a first of a kind technology and it was developed by Sendum Wireless Corp. And and as I said, it's $50 per flight, but it doesn't tell you if you can action on it. So it's one thing to know where your animal is. It's another thing to know that if it's upside down, it's another thing to know that if it's frozen, but it's the the big thing is like, who can you send a message to to go and fix or right side up your animal delta still kills animals i you know this is probably something that may assuage people's minds with their animals they can track it but my goodness they still kill them i don't know what to say delta kills animals and i think i found the title for our for our show delta kills animals it doesn't give me peace of mind to know that my my animal is upside down flying at minus 40 <laughs> no. There's a bigger problem here, folks. It, you do not need you do not need a GPS. you know, you don't you need you need better baggage handling and more care around the animals because as I said, forty one of the ninety seven animal deaths? Delta. Delta kills your animals. There you go. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say anything more about that one so. <laughs> Just, Delta kills animals. You go, want yeah. an animal dead? My my sister has an 18 year old cat that pees everywhere, pees in basements, on stuff. Like it's it's like it's blind, it's deaf, 18. But we take it to the vet and it's still living. It's still it's like in great shape aside from all that stuff. And uh, I'm like I should send it on Delta. That's what I'm going uh, to do. I'm going to send it on a trip in Delta because Delta kills animals. All right, our top 10 stories. Yeah, we're in all trouble. Right. Is, oh, dear. This is yeah. our last show.
1: All right. Delta will sue us. So that's it. That's 10 stories.
0: Those are 10 stories. If we missed yours, look what we do to them. We just butcher them all the time. At least I do. Steve does a very professional job. I destroy every companies. Every once in a while, every... It's true. Not, not as often. And when you do, I just sit back and listen. And I think, my God, you're good at it. You should do it more often. Good. Um but if you your story if you want your story there just reach out TV or c at the lbma.com and one of the guys that did that Asif, one of the very guys that did that when i went off on his company one visit uh, a, a couple of uh, weeks ago there is swiss based company they you know and i named him my name i said Christophe remiet if you were out there reach out to me prove me i'm wrong and guess what he did he reached out to me and this is the result of that and now i'm only going to show you about 6 or 7 minutes of this episode or this interview uh, conversation that we had. The rest is going to be where you found this podcast, either uh, on the LBMA's website, lbma.com, or on tether.tv. This is episode 229. You can find the entire conversation, which is worthwhile if you are interested in in this area, to go and, and watch. But here, very quickly, is a little bit of Christophe Remiet, the CTO of One Visage. Time for our special guest this week uh, is actually a... uh, I'm excited about this because a couple of weeks ago from this very episode, I talked about a company, a Swiss-based company called One Visage. And uh, in particular, I I called them out about, uh, you know, not only the name of the product, but the product itself. It's the Selfie Authentication Company. And uh, I said in that episode that I would probably never use a product that was called the Selfie Authentication Company. Um, and I talked about other biometric or ways for security and authentication, even your thumbprint or your uh, retinal scan. And uh, lo and behold, I said, listen, if you are out there and you want to come on the show, please reach out and let us know. And we will have you on the show. And lo and behold, Christophe Remiet, who is the CTO of One Visage, actually reached out to me and said, hey, Rob you are so freaking wrong about us and about the company and about authentication the way that it's going to happen. And in fact, I want to come on and tell you how wrong you are. So here he is live from his office in Switzerland. Christoph, thank you for doing this. I love when people reach out when we've said something either that's wrong or that you disagree with. And clearly you guys are passionate about this. And so welcome, welcome to the show.
2: So thank you, Rob. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we we really love to to get this open discussion with you. Thank you. Well, uh, you know, for those who don't
0: remember, you know, that episode or what we talked about, um, why don't you quickly describe what you guys do?
2: Yeah. Okay. I believe this is is very important. So, um, yeah, one visage. So our goal is to, in fact, address um, two main questions um, and which are, well, first one is all about uh, identity frauds, right? and second one uh, about transaction i would say abandonments uh, i just would like to uh, to put uh well two figures here uh, first since 2005 there are more than uh, half uh billion of uh, uh, say either default victims right and second one is, in average, uh, despite, I would say, the industry effort to, to improve um, I mean, uh, security solutions with uh, two-step authentication or uh, security tokens, what we are seeing is, in average, there are uh, more than 30% of transaction abandonments nowadays.
0: It was like that on the web, it's like that on mobile. Um, but you know, the other side of it is that there's a brand, and I think this was my point when, we, when I talked about it with Asif, was that there's a, a brand recognition, right? So when I buy from Apple, it's, it's um, you know, my cart abandonment rate is very low because it's I have a brand affinity with that product or with that brand. Right. So uh, but then for a, a product that maybe I don't know or a company that I don't know that um, I'm just doing some research, there's a natural abandonment rate. So and I maybe I'm willing to pay with my thumb for Apple, but maybe I'm not willing to pay with my thumb for something else. Is that what we're going to get into at some point as well?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, for, for we don't. We don't want to position um, one visage in the. Or we don't want to come with a business-to-consumer model. Clearly. Right. Yeah. Um, so it means that uh, we'll establish a strategic partnership with partnership. Sorry, with um, say banks, card issuers, right. Um, payment service providers, integrators. I mean, large ones. Um, and as you said before, uh, because for us, it's it's really all about, say, uh, the level of confidence uh, that that the end user has uh, in in using such technology. So at the end, if it is branded, say, uh, in a few years by Visa or MasterCard, definitively, say, the level of confidence and trust won't be the same like if it is one Visa, right? So um, this is what we are trying to achieve. And for the month, we are really focusing on establishing those uh, initial strategic partnership with, uh, say, uh, key financial services players,
0: and that, as I said, Christoph Remiet, the CTO of OneVisage. Go to OneVisage.com. Go and find at this episode 229. Go to unteller.tv TV and um, look it up, and just watch the end of that uh, that entire conversation. Uh, you will you will start to feel a little bit more comfortable with it, what they're doing around uh, around 3D facial recognition for payments and uh, validation and and identification. It's an interesting
1: space. And just to add one little element to that, um, uh, not, not a whole new story, but just to say that uh, Apple just last week was granted a. Yeah. Engage with your device and, and as, as an authentication mechanism. Um, you know, when Apple obviously is is, is using this as a, uh, you know, as a method as well and going after patents in this well, space. Apple so. did it,
0: yeah. 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 He should have just, should said, have that. just said that. But it, Jack, Ma Jack Ma did Ma it as well. There was a good demonstration of Jack Ma doing it with yeah. Alibaba that we covered on the same show. And, and, you know, he's doing the same thing. So there's there's work there. And, and the 3D model, as you talk, you know, as you listen to Christoph talk about, it, is that you, you literally, you can't just hold up a photo. Of me and and access it so the 3D you have to move it around or move your head around enough to be able to show that it's 3D it's not just flat so Christoph I appreciate you coming on here now I would love it if anybody else that we have you know if you got the courage you got the nuts got the balls like Christoph had to come up and and defend his idea uh, we are always open to that you know that Uh, we will open up uh, we'll spend all the time in the world with you um, if you want to come on and do it so uh, please we appreciate that and uh, thanks Christoph for doing that Cool. All right. So uh, very quickly, if Our last piece of business here is to talk about this whole concept of the simulated interactive product sampling. Uh, you know, simulated is the big key here because, as you were describing the Coke Zero, I haven't had a Coke in ten years. But I think about like the way it, that commercial played out and the pouring of the Coke. That's the. the it's so iconic, right? You, for some reason, it's like Pavlov. My dog. My dog. My mouth waters. My dog is dead because of Delta. My mouth waters because of Coke. Right, and the same thing with the Carlsberg, uh, the free beer billboard. What 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 happens here? Because companies need to uh, need to approach it the same way that these two uh, behemoths are doing when it comes to interactivity. This is this is something that every company can do, but they're not. And I don't uh, don't understand. I don't understand why. Yeah, not.
1: well, I mean, it, it it comes to you know the core of how we think about location at the LBMA, for me, which is this idea of blending media together and understanding. Yes. And so, you know, when it comes to you know FMCG you know type products like this, you know consumer consumable products like Coke or Carlsberg or, you know, you know even a hard good, um, you know I I, th- I think that we need to find ways to leverage the you know the the ad spend that we have. This is not a new idea, right? I mean, if we go back a few years, you know, one one of our members up in Germany, uh, this this uh, dog food company called Granada Pet, I you remember might remember, guy's, about, yeah, yeah, covered these guys way back when, um, and so they created a a, a billboard, um, you know, but uh, it was dog food that they were trying to promote, and so what they did was is you would actually see this billboard, and the billboard on the on the on the signage, it would tell you to check in on Foursquare to the billboard. And then they built this little black box in the back that would monitor these check-ins. And so every time somebody checked into the billboard, it would send a signal back to their servers, and then the server would send a signal back to the billboard. And b- built into the billboard was this uh, dispenser of dog food. And so the dog could actually walk right up to the billboard and sample the dog food. So good. And and, and then the, the the owner could see whether the dog liked this food or not. And you know it was a great way to get them exposed to that. So, you know. It, it, you know this is we need more of this kind of but what stuff.
0: happened to that like so that was three four years ago right when we yeah. when those kind of things came out and and i well i agree this spot thing uh is is interesting right when it comes to uh you know rfid tags and tracking people and all that kind of stuff but but it's it's still the same garbage out right which is let's just change a screen and screens to me are, are like banner ads i ignore them completely yeah. quite often and and so and I don't know if it's for me or not. Like I don't think that the average consumer is educated enough to know that that they're targeting me. We always talk right. about the Minority Report type of screens, but but they're not saying, "Hey, Rob, this is for you." It's just it can get lost in the fray. But they should,
1: right? And and you right. Know, even if it's a, if it's a digital asset like a screen, like you should still be able to just like in the Coke uh, TV commercial piece, like you see the thing pouring on the screen. It's pouring on your phone right. And when it fills up you have an offer to go to a store near you and get a free bottle of coke yeah but I that's mean, the
0: difference though is that the activity is right? two ways so they're not just broadcasting it to no, you there's a no, piece no. that you it, have to it do
1: requires you to act yeah. right on on the, on the other side and i think in these malls and anywhere where these screens are there, there needs to be a way to have immediate you know gratification immediate engagement with, you know with the product and the consumer yeah. so another good example you know is you might remember the um the project uh, that we did like I don't know three more than three years ago now, probably three years ago in McDo- with McDonald's in in Sweden in the, in the main public square in the Sturer plan in, in Stockholm and then we had the giant digital screen on the on the side of the building in the in the public square and uh, basically on the screen it was directing you to go to this URL and then using html5's location capabilities, you know, we would basically connect two phones of people standing in the square and those phones became game controllers where you're, you're playing a game of a Pong on a screen in front of everybody uh, in this public square where your phone your phones are the controllers for this game. And if you won, if you last, I think, 30 seconds or something like that and you won, immediately right on your phone, it, it sends you a coupon for like free ice cream or whatever it is from McDonald's and it tells you that the McDonald's is just around the corner over here. and So walk over there and go get your free ice cream. Right. So it's, you know, you're engaged with the content on the screen, you're personally involved in it. In this case, you're playing a game, your phone is the controller, and then you're rewarded or you get to sample the product, if you will, you know, just around the corner. Yes, uh,
0: it, that makes a lot of sense. And, but I think that like we, we've seen these great examples, of see floating around, like the great uh, Molson Canadian ones, where you use the Canadian yeah, passport yeah. to open up the fridge to get beer for everybody, right? Like th- there's this. I think we, we always start, and then there was uh, just recently, like almost like I just saw about it yesterday, was uh, the Benedict Cumberbatch uh, ch- full size chocolate statue done by uh, you know to promote uh, chocolate, and and what do they call it? the Benedict Choco Batch, where people yeah. could walk up and start eating. Benedict Cumberbatch, because he's made out of chocolate, it's a big statue. Um, but so I, I always think that we're starting down this path, which is a great path, which is exactly like the most Canadian commercial with, um, with the with the fridges. But, but then, we, for some reason, we go back to the things that we know, the simpler ones. And, and yeah. I, I keep waiting for those times where, where uh, I, I don't know, I'm going to be able to, you know, through my TV, I pour the Coke and then somehow it's magically delivered at my door by drones at the very moment that I pour the Coke. Because I, that, that interactivity piece is what's missing. I don't know if it's laziness. I don't know if it's just that we've forgotten how to be innovative. But that th- that yeah. one where, where, the, where the, uh, the pet food was dispensed by a check-in, to me, like, that just seemed like a no-freaking-brainer. Yeah, Everybody was, should be doing cool. that. And yeah. that was done, as we said, almost four years ago that was done. Yeah. So I, I don't know if this is just... I, 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 I'm stumped on this because I always think that when we, we're about to get it, right, where, where we see these great innovative things happening, and then, and then we kind of recoil and go back to screen reliance. And screens are great, but I ignore them, man. I ignore them but yeah. if somebody like if I did something and a chocolate bar fell from the sky I'd be like holy shit that is amazing yeah. Disney characters remember we did we covered this that thing with the Disney characters yep. in the that mall that was awesome same thing that was awesome
1: yeah that kind of stuff you remember that company, we covered this company um, Jaffel shoots
0: yes oh yeah that's right they did the sandwiches was, they, they dropped like, the sandwiches I mean, as
1: yeah. weird as that was so good right like people were engaged with it right because so this was uh, grilled cheese sandwiches in Australia uh, and you could order these things online and then like they tell you the secret location and there's like an X on the spot and you go there and your grilled cheese sandwich comes delivered to you by a parachute, parachute. dropping down, It was ridiculous but it was so cool, I love it yeah,
0: well, you know that because what are the things that happen in hockey games, right, the interactive piece of hockey games, they used to do that, they used to drop like, I mean yeah. we have Subway uh, being, you know, shot out of an air cannon right, And and those kinds of things are great brand, contextual brand, relevant, like all of that stuff, yeah. physical. I get I get to handle something physical. And I think that that's the frustrating part here is that yeah. we get lazy with digital. Just because we can send it to your mobile device or we can send it to a screen does not mean that it's going to leave a lasting impression on the consumer because it goes by in a flash and then it's forgotten. And I think that the examples that we've we've shown here are the ones that resonate four years after the fact. And I, yeah. there's not another one. We just need a wearable, edible banana and we're good. That's right. <laughs> that tracks your marathon. But remember, Gowalla did that, right, with uh, VaynerMedia yeah. early yeah. on in the days around the New Jersey Nets, right, around giving out tickets. If you checked into locations, yes. you got tickets. That were, they were virtual tickets that were redeemable for real tickets to games. Whatever happened to that stuff, man? Like, yeah. uh, th- that's that's the stuff that leaves an impression, and uh, I don't see much of that floating around. That's All right, opinion. well, we got to get on it. Boom! Anybody has good examples of that stuff? We'd always love to hear. We'll feature that stuff here because we love that stuff, because it's innovative and not a lot of people are doing it, right? Big video, video. games in the middle of screens, in the middle of, you know, you know, the red square. That kind of stuff is really cool and uh, and should be celebrated. Screens? nah, not so much. We'd love red thoughts. It. All right. Episode two twenty nine. Nailed. Screamed at been broken down beat up raised to the up to the grafters and broken down again we'd love to hear your feedback on this show and many others any others please reach out rob at untether. or ce at the LBMA.com. we will take your feedback into consideration and probably discard it right away but we'll take it into consideration <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, If you have any comments, reach out to us. And if you have a story that you'd like to be a part of this, please reach out to us. If you have an app that you'd like us to feature, please reach out to us. Do us a favor by helping you, helping us illuminate our audience through this way. And of course, if you want to sponsor this damn thing, we are accepting sponsorships for this podcast. It reaches 18 people. 19, because my deaf brother listens to it now. As he falls asleep. He swears he does. Asif, are we going to be doing this from Toronto next week? Uh, We will. Sweet. Sweet three weeks in a row. Yeah. Number 230. Episode 230 next week. Thank you guys for sticking around this late in this episode. We appreciate it. We'll see you next time for this week in location-based market. Con. Out.